0: Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to the King's House podcast. We're a non-denominational church located in McAllister, Oklahoma, reaching and serving those in our community and around the world. We believe that church is not something you go to, but a family you belong to. And a house is just a house until the family's there. Then the house becomes a home. So today we want to say welcome home as we jump into today's service.
1: God's house this morning. Man, so wonderful to be back here with you this, this week, guys. Anybody miss me last Sunday? Hey, that was way better than the first crowd. The first crowd's like, yeah, we miss you so much, Pastor Mark. I had an amazing time uh, preaching in San Antonio. God did some incredible things. Uh, People gave their hearts to Jesus. People rededicated their lives. People found a dream and found a passion. I mean, just just really beautiful. And I, I love going to other places and other churches, and I love doing what God put me on this earth to do. But I'm always excited to come home because there is no other place on planet earth quite like the King's House in McAllister, Oklahoma. I'm serious, I'm not just saying that. I mean, there is no other church like you guys. Just such an honor and a blessing to be here today. And I'm sure you're aware, but God is up to some really amazing things in this place. I said God's up to some really amazing things in this place. He is. While I was gone this past Monday, um, Celebrate Recovery celebrated their two-year anniversary incredible. Time flies when you're having fun. I think there was 110, 15 people at Celebrate Recovery last Monday. Come on. I mean, God is using that ministry to change lives, to make a difference. If you have some hurt, some habits, some hangups, if you need a forever family that's going to pray for you, hold you accountable, walk with you through life, you need to come to Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. Dinner's at 515, services at 6. You should. It's great. It's really great. Uh, I think this past Wednesday, uh, Pastor Josh and Cami, I think they had 155 kids in that youth room. <laughs> just, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's incredible. The most incredible thing about it is it's not just like pizza parties and hangouts, you know. Uh, it's pretty easy to get kids to come for some free food, but... Uh, when you got a man that got up there preaching the word and people are giving their hearts to Jesus and rededicating their lives and like time at the altar. And I mean, that, that's what's going on in ASM on Wednesday nights. You should be insanely proud of your youth pastors, and uh, I don't know what we're going to do, man. We're running out of room back there. Uh, We got more kids than we got space, Uh, but that is just a beautiful problem to have, King's House. Yeah, and I know that he's going to continue to provide and continue to lead us, so we are along for a wild journey. I'm telling you, man, you're at the right place at the right time in the kingdom of God. Kicking off a brand new series today to called Enemies of the Heart. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be on this series. Here's the verse I want to start with today. If I seem a little tired or discombobulated, this is like my seventh sermon in the last three or four days. So just cut me a little slack, would you? Proverbs 4 says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Look at your neighbor and say, guard your heart Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm sorry you were my second choice, but (laughs) guard your heart. Listen, these these are big words that is written in scripture right here. This is monumental phrases and ideas. I mean, when you start throwing around words like above all else, I mean, that's some big league stuff, isn't it, church? I mean, when you start throwing around the concept of it, it determines the course of your life, then we need to hurry up and pay attention. How do we guard our hearts? I think the first question is, is what in the world is your heart? I mean, is it, is it really just that muscle inside your chest that's pumping and sending blood? And the doctors tell you that you need to exercise and stay in shape and and eat vegetables and not just fried foods and they're so stupid they don't know anything about life, right? (laughs) Come on, I will eat as much fried food as I want I'm be a picture of health as you can see. No, it's not what scripture's talking about. I think it's more than just a physical heart inside your chest, right? Your heart is that place inside of you that gets broken when someone you care about betrays your trust right? You don't really know where that heart's located. Uh, There's nothing physically that you can see and touch that's broken, but by golly, you know when your heart's broken, don't you? Your heart's that place that just swells with pride and excitement in a way like you've never experienced before when you see your children excelling, Man, when they hit the game-winning shot or make the, the game-winning touchdown or they, they give their hearts to Jesus or they're baptized or, I mean, just that swell of just pride and just, that's your heart. Wherever that's located, that, that's what your heart is. Your heart is that mysterious part of you that is somehow strangely connected to God in a way like nothing else in your life is, and that heart is determining the course of your life. I mean, this is important stuff. We gotta guard this heart above all else. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at four enemies of the heart that the devil wants to use to, to weigh you down, to distract you, to burden you, to stop you. These four enemies are guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. Man, we're gonna let the Holy Spirit do a deep work in our hearts because this determines the course of our lives. So let me ask you this question this morning, church how are things with your heart? How are things with your heart? When was the last time that you ever asked yourself that question? Do you ever stop and think, how's my my heart? Do you ever pray about, Lord, how are things in my heart? Has something become a part of you that wasn't a part of you before? And you might justify it and say, well, that's just, who I am. That's just the way it's always been. But is it? Is is that the way it's always been? Or have you allowed yourself to become that? Two very different things. The truth of the matter is, is that most of you in this room have become professional at monitoring your behavior, but not monitoring your heart's. This is something that we've learned to do since we were this big to monitor our behavior because the truth of the matter is, bad heart, nobody really knows about it so much. But bad behavior, that has some consequences, right? Man, I remember the first time I was not paying attention in church as a little boy. Got my coloring book and I'm talking and I'm laughing and in my own little world and all of a sudden, my dad just appeared, like I don't know where he came from. But he was just standing over me. I'll never forget him carrying me outside of the sanctuary and warming up this backside, baby. Hey, time ins and time outs and all that's good stuff, but nothing gets attention like a warmed up backside. Come on. I learned that day how and how not to act in church. I paid attention to my behavior from then on out because there was a consequence to that behavior, and that's what we do today. We monitor our behavior much more than we really monitor our hearts because we don't want the consequences. Listen, I'm on my best behavior so many days, not because I'm really interested in what's going on in my heart as much as, I don't want that to have an effect on my life. I don't want it to hurt my reputation as a pastor. I don't want to embarrass myself or my family and I don't want to embarrass you. You know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily because I'm just so interested in God to keep this heart clean. I wish it was, but the truth of the matter is I don't like consequences. That's the truth. Listen, Friday morning I left San Antonio. Uh, from San Antonio all the way to Durant, Oklahoma. I was in wall to wall traffic and construction and really stupid drivers. I mean, stupid drivers. Not me, of course. I'm driving right. But everybody else on the road, man, I was so frustrated. I spent the first few couple hours like, yeah, I'm doing okay. Man, by the time I got to Dallas, I wanted to honk and scream and cuss and flip off every person that came. I mean, I seriously did. I was so agitated. I don't care how much money or opportunities in Texas, I will never move to Texas. Need some dirt roads, man. Anti-traffic. Listen. It's not because I wanted my heart to be so good, because I'm a pastor. And for whatever reason in our society it's frowned upon when pastors scream and cuss and flee people off. I mean, it's not fair. (laughs) So just to be sure, uh, because I never know me, uh, there's a reason I don't have a king's house sticker on the back of my truck. I do have a sticker, however, it's Life Church. <laughs> Life.church, not, not the Craig O'Shea, Life Church. You never know, you know what I'm saying? Everyone says, like, Mark, you need to get a King's House sticker on that truck. Like, no, I don't, trust me, baby. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, we monitor our behavior. And we convince ourselves by good behavior that things are going pretty well, right? My behavior is pretty well, so things must be going pretty well. This, uh, this pretending allows us to ignore the truths of what's really in our hearts. That's why we need to allow the Holy Spirit to really shine his light and investigate because good behavior does not always equal a healthy heart, You can have good behavior and you can have a very sick, unhealthy heart. You're just a disciplined person. You know how to monitor that behavior, but you can have a very unhealthy heart in the process. Here's a few evidences of an inward struggle. Let let me see if any of these sound familiar to you this morning. Do you ever say things like this? Boy, I just can't believe I just said that. Whoa. I mean, that just, I can't believe I just said that. Boy, I don't know where that one came from. Sound familiar, anybody? I can't believe I just did that. Like, that is so not like me. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. The truth is, is that we've learned to treat the symptoms of an unhealthy heart instead of the root issues that exist in our lives, which is why, man, these enemies of our heart must be addressed. Is it possible this morning, church? Is it possible that you don't have a behavioral problem? Is that possible? Is it possible that the devil didn't make you do it? I mean, that poor guy gets blamed for all sorts of things. Is it possible that maybe I have a heart problem today? And what's in your heart doesn't necessarily come out in social settings. What's in your heart doesn't necessarily come out in, uh, in work settings. And I mean, we do a good job of, of living up to what we're supposed to be in those settings. But when we turn off the safety valve... When we let our guard down, mostly at home, then we really find out what's inside of us. It's easy, friends, to, to be on my best behavior on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's no problem. I'm, I'm, you guys are here for an hour, right? Man, I can shake hands. God bless you. It's good to see you. How was your week? Nice to have you. Shake hands. Kiss babies. Vote for Mark. Like. I've been doing this my whole life, man. I know how to greet people and I know how to have eye contact and make them. I, I, that's not the real test. The real test of what's in your heart is when you get home and you let your guard down. Because the scripture says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Those words and those actions are just gauges of what's really going on inside of our heart. We need the Holy Spirit to investigate this morning, King South. Say amen to that. Yes, the first enemy of our heart that we're going to investigate this morning is the enemy of guilt. Look at your neighbor and say guilt. An enemy of the heart, all four of these that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, an enemy of the heart creates a debt to debtor Relationship, a debt to debtor relationship. Something in each one of these enemies, something is owed, and it complicates and makes relationship very, very difficult because a debt has to be paid or canceled in order for the relationship to be restored and the relationship to be healthy. Remember this, the debt has to be paid or canceled in order for relationship to be restored. So here's the question, what is guilt? I mean, what's guilt? It's kind of like your heart, like it's extremely hard to describe, but you know it when you feel it. It's, an, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a weight, it's a mindset, it's a result of having done something wrong. And it creates this debt to debtor relationship. Guilt says this, I owe you. That's, that's the mindset that, that guilt creates. You are in debt to the debtor who is the person that you've hurt or the person that you have wronged. And this burden become a, can become a very tiresome, heavy, wearisome burden. This concept of I owe you is so ingrained in our lives, in our society, it's even ingrained in our vocabulary. Let me show you, from the earliest of age, when you did something wrong, you were taught to say this, I owe you an apology, weren't you? Just the embrace of guilt, I've done something wrong, it's hurt you, it's wronged you, and now I owe you. An apology. That's what we were taught to believe. Not necessarily wrong, but just a different mindset. How different could life be if we approach relationships like, listen, I love you so much, and I value you so much, and I value our relationship, and I would just love to give you an apology. I would love that if you would let me make that right. But when we approach it of like, I owe you an apology, it's the weight, it's the guilt, it's the mindset of, of I owe you. We feel the need to pay. Or we feel the need to try to make it up to people, don't we? I mean, that's how guilt operates in our lives. Really, there's two outcomes that is produced by guilt. I want to show you those in your personal life and in your relationship with God. Two outcomes that guilt produces, but both are very destructive and detrimental to your heart and to your relationships with each other, okay? Let's talk about real life for just a few minutes. Here we go. Let me ask you this question. How often do you see the guy that owes you 50 bucks? Probably not all, all that often. I mean, honestly, if people are asking you for money all the time, do you know the fastest way to get them to stop asking you for money? Give them some money. And if they don't pay it back, guess who's not coming around anymore? Right? Because that's what guilt does in our lives. This even, this even works within you've created this debt debtor, that person owes you. You're the debtor. They owe you the debt. It creates this in our life. It even works with people that you've had a relationship with for a long time. Friends that you have a relationship with, man. They fall on hard times. You let them borrow some money. They can't pay it back. They feel like they owe you. All of a sudden, shame starts to form in their hearts. And one of their natural reactions is to avoid you. And again, it doesn't really matter if you've known this person for a week or for five years, this debt-to-debtor relationship, until that debt is paid or canceled, that relationship is always a little bit complicated, okay? Let me show you this way. This is another way that, that guilt operates in our life when you feel like you owe something, okay? Let's imagine that a husband and a father, he makes a mistake. Marriage isn't going well. He falls into temptation. He has a relationship outside of his marriage, They do everything they can to put the marriage back together, but the marriage doesn't get put back together. The family doesn't make it. And now that person feels guilt because now I owe my family. Okay? I think something that as the church we need to always be very uh, aware of is that just because somebody makes bad decisions doesn't make them a bad person. Come on, somebody. There's plenty of wonderful people in this world that have made some bad decisions and there's still some wonderful people. I've counseled hundreds and hundreds of people who have walked through affairs. I wish it was as simple as we try to make it. Like, oh, that guy's just a piece of crap. He doesn't love his family. Like, no, that's, that's literally never it. Never it. You don't know what his childhood was like. You don't know what he went through. You don't know what mindsets he had. You don't know what their marriage was like. I mean, we just don't know. And that's never an excuse for sin, but it's just never that, it's never that simple. It's always more complicated than that. So now this husband feels guilt. And he owes his family. Why? Because Christmases are never going to be the same. They're not. Birthday parties is never going to be the same. Even if you try to have them together, it's always going to be this sense of awkwardness and this guilt. Like, it's eating away at the individual, okay? I mean, you, when, the, when the kids aren't with you and they're with the mom, you feel guilty. Like, it's just a constant reminder, man, I messed up and I don't get to be with my kids. But then when the kids are with you, you still feel guilty because now they're not with their mom and that's your fault. Like, this, this guilt has a way of getting a hold of your life. You bought into this, like, I owe this. I gotta figure out a way to to pay it or to make it right. So one of two things usually happens in these types of relationships. Usually the man responds with, he's either very ashamed, which can lead to him avoiding the situation altogether. That husband can become a very absent father only because like, well, he's a piece of crap, he doesn't love his kids, like, no. It's a constant reminder of the pain. It's a constant reminder of the guilt. He doesn't know what to do with the situation and sometimes they just find themselves doing nothing, right? Your, your guilt produces shame and shame produces this desire to avoid situations. Or a father can take the other uh Path and say, like, man, I got to figure out how to make this right. I got to pay for this. I, I got to make this right, which is also wildly unhealthy, right? Dad's little princess turns 16, and he shows up and says, hey, little princess, who's turned 16? Guess who gets a Porsche for her 16th birthday? Woo! He can't afford it. He doesn't really want to do it, but he feels obligated. I got to make this up, right? School comes around. She needs school clothes. Like, hey, who needs $10,000? I hope that covers it. It's so detrimental. In both of those scenarios, either the, the, the daughter is... Uh, an absent father looking for love in all the wrong places that causes all these issues in her life, or that dad has made her into this spoiled rotten materialistic little monster that no one can be around like her poor husband. Both outcomes are so hurtful, so detrimental, but they're both driven by one thing, guilt. You with me this morning, church? Let me show you how this works in our relationship with God, okay? Anybody in this room have any temptations or struggles? Anybody ever fall into those temptations or struggles? (laughs) Right? And you're going to struggle for the rest of your life until the day you stand before Jesus like you are this work in progress. But the in progress is the important part of that. If you're waiting to be perfect for God to use you, uh, get comfortable on the sideline, friends. Because you ain't never going to be perfect. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for willing people. But let's just say, man, you fell into temptation. What's your first response You feel ashamed and you avoid God. That's in your DNA. Go back to the the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve, they fell into sin and what was their first response? That was their second response. Their first response was like, whoa, never noticed that before. Look at your neighbor and say they were naked. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Their second response was Jesus went looking for them and they were, they're hiding. That shame produces this desire in you to avoid God. Anybody in this room, anybody. When you fall into sin and when you fall into temptation, I mean, in a big way, is there anybody in this room that is just freaking pumped to pray and read your Bible and worship? Like, woo! I mean, I just messed my life up royally. God, I love you so much and I just can't wait to read your word. And like, no one does that. What's your first response? to run, to avoid God. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel worthy to worship or to read your word. So you avoid God. And then this chain of events starts to happen in your life where it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Six months later, I mean, you're at rock bottom. What am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to see God. That's what you should have done six months ago, but everything in us screams to hide, to run, because that's what guilt does to our lives. I owe God something. I could never pay that back. Here's the second thing it does in our lives, just like it does with dads who are trying to make it up with their kids. Like, I got to make this up, man. I got to pay for this. I got to make it right. All right, I fell into sin again. The same temptation that I always fall into. Here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to pray for three hours a day. I'm going to read my Bible for two hours a day. I'm going to witness to 10 people a day. I'm going to, you become very legalistic and rule-oriented and religious, because in your mind, you think, I got to make this up. I got to prove to God that I can be who he thinks I am. I got to prove to God that it's okay for him to be proud of me. If I do enough of these things, then maybe, just maybe, he'll love me again. Maybe, just maybe, if I can prove to him that, man, he'll be proud to call me a son and he'll use me such a detrimental mindset. Let me tell you something. I've known a lot of really legalistic religious people in their life. And do you know what they all have in common? Skeletons in their closet, friends. They all, I mean, some deep, dark, serious struggles. And instead of Surrendering those things to God instead of letting God work on those things, baby, I'm gonna work hard enough, and I'm gonna be religious enough and legalistic enough, and I'm gonna show them, guaranteed. I've seen it my whole whole life. The problem is, friends, is that you cannot earn your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. There's nothing that you can do to pay for your sins. This morning, do you believe that? However, the debt must be paid or the debt must be canceled in order for relationship to ever be properly restored. It can't be ignored. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Mark, you're preaching to me, man. I feel so much guilt. I feel so much shame from choices I've made and decisions I've made and people I've hurt. What am I supposed to do now? Well, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do now because this is the place where the love and the grace and the compassion of Jesus steps in in a big way, friends. You know, there's a reason that the gospel is called good news. Anybody know why? Because it's some really good news, man. That's why it's called the good news. Jesus knew that you could never pay the debt that you owed. So he came up with a remedy to this tragedy of sin. And I would love to show you the remedy to guilt and shame this morning. Man, I believe it can change and transform your life. The remedy starts in John 3.16. You know this verse, but this is where it starts. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved, not just love, but he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want you to know today that there is a God in heaven who loves you, who cares for you, and he is invested in your life. He doesn't just love you from a distance. He gave the absolute best that he had to give. He is invested in your life. And this is what he did for you. Isaiah 53 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You have to understand this morning that it wasn't his sin. He was perfect. He was paying for your sin because there was no possible human way that you could ever pay the debt that you owed. You couldn't do it. 2 Corinthians says this, because of that debt that we owed and that we couldn't pay, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You couldn't pay for your sin. So somebody else had to. Listen, God is a righteous judge and he couldn't just look over sin and pretend it didn't happen. He's a righteous judge. That wouldn't be very righteous. That wouldn't be very just. Sin came into the world. Somebody had to pay for it, except you were unable to do so. So God in his great love sent his only son to pay for your sins to become sin for you. He stretched out his arms on the cross that was not made for him. That cross was made for you. Paying for sins that he didn't commit. Paying for sins that were committed by you. And love stretched out his arms on the cross that day. And his last words and this, he shouted in this dying voice, it is finished. But it means a little more than just the job's complete. It's finished. When you really search out the meaning of that word, what it really means is, in full you were a debt and you owed a debt to a debtor and that thing had to either be paid or cancelled and Jesus paid the price for your sin on the cross, Colossians 2 says this I love the gospel man it's it's incredible this realm of death describes our former state for we were held in sin's grasp but now We've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. Aren't you thankful this morning, church? He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of, say it with me, cancellation friends a debt has to be paid or it has to be canceled for relationship to be restored so you know what Jesus did he stepped up to the plate that you could not step up to and he said you know what I'm just going to do it both I'm going to pay for their sins and I'm going to cancel their debts because that's the kind of God that he is and now because of what Jesus has done Romans 10 gives us this incredible promise that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Come on, somebody, that's some good news, man. Come on, aren't you happy this morning that the gospel isn't a story about how good you are? The gospel is a story about how good he is. Aren't you glad this morning that the gospel isn't a story about how much you love God? You failed over and over. The gospel is a story of how much he loves you, man are you happy this morning. You came in here today carrying guilt and shame for the wrongs you've done, for the people you've hurt. Man, you've lived your life hiding and avoiding some of those harsh realities. Man, you feel heavy and burdened. You've been carrying these weights for far too long. Here's some good news, friends. I know a man, I know a man who has paid for those sins who has canceled that debt. And if you give him the opportunity today, he can change your forever. I'm telling you, man, there's nothing so broken that the love of Jesus can't put back together. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? All across this room, if you're here, you'd say, Pastor Mark, that's me. Man, I've been dealing with some guilt. I've been dealing with some shame. I've made more mistakes than I can. I lost count of a long time ago. I feel hopeless, I feel helpless. But today I'm ready to give Jesus a chance in my life. I'm ready to say yes to him. I'm ready to make him the Lord and the Savior of my life. If he really can do everything you say he can, then I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. This morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning, you would just say, Pastor Mark, I don't know that I've ever made Jesus the Lord of my life, but I want to make that decision today Then just right now. Lift your hand right now. I see that hand and I see that hand and that hand and that hand. Anybody else? Come on, the greatest decision you'll ever make to give your heart to Jesus. Thank you so much, I see that hand. You can put those hands down. Thank you, friends, for your honesty. I just explained the gospel story to you that he paid for your sins, he loved you that much, he took your place on the cross. There's nothing you can do. Salvation is a free gift by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no magic prayer, but Romans 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the greatest story ever told. So all across this room, I just want you to pray with me. If this is your first time praying, man, from the bottom of your heart, just cry out to Jesus this morning. I believe that you raising your hand has already started a process of your life of saying yes to Jesus. We don't want anybody praying alone. We don't want anybody being embarrassed. So all across this room, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins. I need you to be my savior. I need you to wash this guilt away. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe that you are the only way to heaven. From this day forward, my life belongs completely to you. In the name of Jesus, everybody says, give God some praise this morning, church. Don't run out yet, please, don't run out yet. There's one more step I wanna ask you to take today, friends. I think if you were to be honest with yourself, you would say that, some of you would say, yeah, I know that God's forgiven me, I believe that, and he has, the second you asked him, takes your sin cast as far as the east is from the west. I mean, it's beautiful, washes it white as snow. Then why do I still feel guilty for some of those things? reasonable question right the truth of the matter is that God has absolutely forgiven you the moment you ask but has the person that you hurt have they forgiven you think about that for a second God forgiving us does not remove responsibility for our actions it doesn't we don't need to confuse forgiveness with a lack of consequence for our decisions Because just because God forgave you doesn't mean just poof, poof, everything's better. Let's just move on with life. No, we want to move on with life. We want to put those things behind us. But some of the people that you've hurt and some of the people that you've wronged are absolutely stuck in that pain and in that shame that some of you created. That's why James chapter 5 says it like this Confess and acknowledge. This is not a very popular part of the sermon. I know it was a much better when Jesus is was just washing stuff away and it's free, and... but this is the, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. This is the, the actual gospel. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another to be instantly healed. See, there, there, there is another step that we need to take as believers. It's wonderful that God forgives you and takes that guilt away. But maybe that person that you've heard or betrayed or whatever it is, fill in the blank, maybe they are just absolutely stuck. And maybe your acknowledgement and your confession is just the slightest little nudge that they need to get them on the road to healing and health and recovery. I don't know how they're gonna respond. I can't, but you don't control how people respond. You control how you respond. So you're obedient to God and you confess and you acknowledge and you ask forgiveness. And then you let God take the rest. But when you've done those steps, then you can walk away and say, okay, God, I did everything that I could possibly do. I'm gonna need you to do the rest now. I wanna challenge some of you this week. Don't just walk out of here and say, woo, got that guilt off me, come on, praise God. I feel good. Take another step this week. Holy Spirit, who would you have me text? Who would you have me call? Who would you have me sit down? He'll give you a strategy of how to approach those situations, and he'll let you know when you need to do that. He, he, he will. Let me tell you one of the greatest tools you can have in your Christian arsenal to combat the enemy doesn't sound very glamorous. It's not speaking in tongues and prophecy. You know and I mean, it's not. But one of the greatest, most powerful tools you can have in your Christian arsenal is a clear conscience. It is. See, the, the devil's main currency that he loves to deal in, to keep people trapped, to keep people bound, to keep people in fear, the main currency that he loves to trade in are secrets. As long as you got a whole list full of secrets, He's really calling the shots. He's keeping you ashamed. He's keeping you afraid. What if people found out? (sighs) Don't get too close. They might find out. Don't get too close. Oh, if they really knew who you were, they wouldn't let you on that praise team. Oh, if they really knew who you were, they they can cripple you. And it's those secrets that keep us bound. Like there's a passion inside of us. Man, we wanna be everything that God's called us to be. We wanna spread those wings and, and launch out into his plans and his purposes as long as you allow the enemy to keep you bound by secrets, you'll never, ever, ever reach your full potential. So let me give you the remedy for this. Confess, acknowledge what you've done wrong, do what you can to make it right. And then when the devil comes and whispers in your ear, like, oh man, I tell you, if those people knew what you had done last week, they would, oh, I already told them devil. So I already told them. They already know. We've already talked about it. We worked it out. He has no foothold in your life. He has nothing to hold over your head. No fear, no shame, no guilt, no intimidation. Man, you want to be set free and walk in everything that God's called you to walk in? Get you a clear conscience, man. Ask God to forgive you and then go make some of those wrongs right. And I promise you, you will be liberated and set free and able to walk into the abundant life and unspeakable joy and peace that passes understanding. He has all those things for you. And your friend's not holding you back, and your church ain't holding you back, and your pastor ain't holding and your spouse ain't holding. You're holding yourself back. And you're the only person that can deal with it. I can't do it for you. Confess and let healing instantly happen in your heart this morning. Pray with me, church. God, I love you. God, I know this wasn't the most pleasant of words this morning. But there is an enemy in our lives that wants to cripple us and hold us back, and his name is guilt. So God, I just ask that yes, we would get our hearts right with you. I thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive, that there's nothing that we have to pay. There's nothing that we have to earn. We don't have to try to make it up. You love us just because you love us, just because you love us. On our best day, you love us. On our worst day, you love us. But God, show us those people in our lives that we need to make some things right. Show us those areas in our life that we need to confess, that we need to acknowledge. And as we do that, God, I just ask that you would bring healing, healing. God, I thank you that the debt is paid for and canceled, Jesus, and that we can walk in freedom. God, we thank you for what you're doing, what you're gonna do, uh, what you're gonna continue to do, Jesus. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. You're amazing, King's House. I love you so much. Discipleship group right here, Wednesday night, home groups. Have an awesome week. God bless you.
0: Thanks for joining our podcast today. If you are ever in need of prayer or wish to speak to a pastor, please email us at info at And if you would like to give towards the ministry of the King's House, you can do so by visiting our website, giving or you can text any dollar amount to the number 84321 and simply respond to the prompt sent back to you. If you're ever around the area and want to visit, we meet every week at 124 V. Huber Smith Drive in McAllister, Oklahoma. You can even plan your visit ahead of time where you can reserve your seat, your parking spot, and even pre-check in your kids before arriving on the Sunday of your choice. Just fill out the quick form at Kingshouse.church/plan slash visit. Hey, we know life is busy, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you can catch all our latest messages, and we look forward to seeing you soon.